Um, as I mentioned, going into this message, I called it eternal investments. And we're going to be talking about the words of Jesus concerning earthly possessions and concerning our focus and concerning who we serve and what we serve and what's important to us. And uh, I would just like to ask again, if you just would indulge me and just pray with me and for me and for yourselves so that you can really get the, the depth of what Jesus wants to say to you today. So Lord, uh, we come before you and we're so grateful that you are such a God of goodness so grateful that you're, that you're faithful. I'm so thankful that you've given us the Bible so that we can get to know you better. We thank you for all your ways. All your ways are just. All your ways are perfect. We just invite you to just speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. So today, eternal investments. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there, is the, desire of your, there the desire of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So as I said, you know, we've had this scheduled out to talk about this particular topic since, I believe, April, and yet today, the thing that's on my heart very heavily, and I'm sure on the hearts of many of you, is the Hurricane Harvey and the devastation that's going on in Texas, and just the horror of just this natural disaster and of how people are dealing with it. But just this morning, I was hearing someone on the radio. Do you guys remember Mr. Rogers? Yeah. Won't you be my neighbor? And he puts on his old sweater, and you're like, okay. Mr. Rogers said that his mom told him when he was a little boy, that whenever there was a disaster of any kind, she said, these things will happen, but look for the helpers. Isn't that such a great attitude? Look for the helpers. There are always people that are willing to go out and help. People that are willing to go rescue and bring their monster truck and you know help people out and bring their boat and all kinds of things. There are always helpers that are there. And at the risk of sounding insensitive in any way, I just... I just got this perspective as I was studying for this particular message, this teaching. These, these people are dealing with devastation, but it's really just stuff. They've just lost stuff. I mean, there's been some loss of life, but we sang that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And you know, one of the main things that people will say is, at least I still have my family. 
or at least, you know, my kids are still okay, or I still have my spouse, or I still have my dog. You know, it's like people are, they're getting that perspective that everything can be ripped away from us. Everything. But it is well with my soul. And you remember that story? I don't know, this story just ripped my heart out. That The young man, he was really anxious, and he started... He started kind of freaking out because he didn't know if his dad was okay and he, he hadn't been able to reach him and he was just really stressed about it. And all of a sudden he gets on the phone and he's talking to his dad. And he's just like, I love you, dad. Do you remember that story? Have you seen that one? Do we have that picture of that right there? Just look at that. I mean, the look on his face of just so much anxiety, but just that relief that his dad's okay. And these people, it's like, you know, they've lost everything, but it is still, they're still with their families and it is still well with their souls if, if they know Christ. And that's our focus today is what we're going to talk about is not putting your focus on things that can be destroyed, things that can be stolen, things that, that decay, but rather we're going to set our hearts on the things that are eternal, the things that will last forever. Do you guys remember the story about Mattress Mac? Have you guys heard about Mattress Mac? He's my hero. This guy has a mattress store. It's a massive, massive mattress store. And he's just opened it up for people to come and stay there, to sleep there, and to just take refuge. And he said, people are more important than prophets. I mean, this guy is losing millions and millions of dollars. He helped out with Katrina too. This is one good guy. There's a friend of mine, uh, he actually, Eric and I had led him to Christ years ago, and he lived with us for a while. He remodeled our home in California and doubled the value of it. And um, he moved back to Texas, which is his home state, and I had just sent him a message and asked him how he was doing. And here's his response, and I, I have permission to share this. So we decided that for Hurricane Harvey, we would stay I don't evacuate for hurricanes. I've been through so many. Harvey, as a storm, wasn't that different. That didn't bother me like this flood does. It started yesterday, and all the people needed to be rescued. Today was worse, a lot worse. All that water has to return to the Gulf, and I'm parked in the middle with washed-out roads all around us. I'm worried about it, and I don't like being worried. I was confident during the storm that we would be fine but I'm not sure about the aftermath. The Brazos River and the Oyster Creek are about to burst, and we're protected by the levee, but it won't stop all the water heading this way. I've invested a lot of money and time into our home, and right now, I'm feeling a little bit foolish about it. I know I just have to give this house to God and His will, and let His will be done, and maybe that's my lesson, to let it go, but I really don't like this feeling. It's deep inside of me like I've made a foolish choice and now I get to swim in it. Maybe tomorrow will be different. I think about what I'm facing and what you've dealt with and I think, well, this is just a house. It could be far worse. And then I get another flash flood alert and that deep feeling in my gut returns. Please pray for us. So can we pray for Texas right now? We do a lot of praying around here. It's just kind of one of our things. 
So <laughs> let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank you that you are good. And Lord, that nothing happens apart from your knowledge. Lord, we thank you that you are in control, that you are a sovereign God. We thank you that you know all things and that all things do work together for good for those who are called according to your purposes, Lord, those who love you. We just lift up the people in Texas and we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that your kingdom would be expanded. We pray for comfort. We pray for boldness for the believers that they would share the good news. Lord, we ask for relief. We pray that your peace would guide them and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is greed? What is greed? Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So let me ask you something. Are you greedy? One honest guy in the whole bunch. <laughs> you know, most people just dismiss this and they're like, I'm not greedy. By the end of today, I think you might have a different viewpoint. Because when I started studying this, I was like, no, I'm generous. But then I started studying, I'm like, wow, I am super greedy. And I don't mean like, <laughs> I want to make money. I'm just saying, you know, how you use your money, how you utilize your money, how you think about money, how you talk about money, all of these things. And the thing is, if you think that you're not greedy, that's a pretty sure sign that you probably are. Because this is one of those things that money is something that is universal or, you know, some type of recompense. And Jesus talked about money a lot. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of pastors hesitate to talk about money because they think, oh, people are going to think this is just attached to my salary or they, they're going to think that this is just because I'm greedy or all those televangelists, all they ever do is talk about money. But Jesus talked, he didn't have a TV show and he didn't have a salary and he didn't care. It was money has such a grip on our hearts that 15% of Jesus's teachings are about money. That's more than heaven and hell combined. And the thing about us is that we don't really think greed is a sin. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, if you're like super selfish, that's a sin, right? Or if you commit adultery, that's a sin. Or if you murder somebody, that's pretty obvious. Or you, you know, you lie or somebody has a lot of pride or whatever. Those things are kind of obvious, but greed, that's really an, a personal thing. That's really hidden deep in someone's heart. And that's what we're going to keep coming back to today. This is not about an amount. It's about a heart issue. Money is about a heart issue. Greed is about a heart issue. It's not about having a lot. It's not about having a little. It's about what do we think about it? What is our attitude toward money? So we're going to kind of explore that a little bit today. 70% of all the wealth in the world belongs to 5% of people. Almost all of them, them are Americans. Professionals are in the top 20% of this 5%. So if you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% wealth in the world. How many of you make more than... No, don't. Not, not really. Not really. Just kidding. 
The thing about greed is that it has the, the power to keep us from talking about money or questioning our own motives or asking questions about how we should be thinking about money or how we should be spending it or dispersing it or using it. Greed has the power from, from keeping us from being honest, not only with others, but also sometimes with ourselves. And anything that you make your treasure where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Anything that you make your treasure will demand your life. It will demand something from you. And Jesus is warning us against greed. He's warning us against materialism. He's warning us against putting our hope in stuff. The stuff that's temporal, the stuff that can disappear like that in one hurricane or one earthquake or one fire, or anything, that if our hope is in that, we're going to be messed up if it gets taken away, so that our treasure is in Him and Him alone. Your treasure, this particular word, what it's talking about is whatever you gaze upon, whatever you think about, whatever you adore, whatever you obsess over, whatever you love. It's all of these things. And the thing is, we, like I've told you many times, whatever we think about most is that which we worship. So that's why I'm saying it's not about an amount because there are poor people that obsess over having money. And there are wealthy people that obsess over having money. So it's not about how much money they have. I actually heard this story just yesterday on the radio. This, this man was talking about, he was in some third world country and this kid was sitting there playing with a rock. And this guy is just like, wow, wow, they just, they don't have anything here. And he talked to the, the kind of the spiritual leader of that little village and he asked him, he said, what is the number one issue here that's preventing people from receiving Christ and receiving the truth of the gospel. And this village leader in this poor village said, it's materialism. And this, this pastor goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, the ones that live in huts wish that they lived in bigger huts and the ones who don't live in huts wish they lived. So you see, it has nothing to do with our affluence as Americans, it has to do with our hearts and our hearts toward the Lord. So you know the story of the Lord of the Rings. You remember this, the basic premise of it is there's that ring, that ring represents sin, that evil thing. And so here's this guy, Smeagol, my precious. And it's like this guy starts out, he was like a really sweet guy. He's hanging out with his friend, you know, he's fishing and whatever. And then he sees the ring and like, Spoiler alert. So then he ends up, he murders this friend and then he has a ring. And then he turns into Gollum, who is, this is what happens to you if you're greedy. This is what you're going to look like, just so you know. <laughs> and so it's, the story is that he ends up, I mean, it, it demands his life. And how many of us know people that greed and materialism is demanding their lives? And Jesus is saying, no, don't let that be you. Don't let that be the case. Where your treasure is, whatever you treasure most and love most and yearn most for, that's where your heart is going to be. And it can't be a divided heart. So the, the Greek word for greed 
means covetousness or aggression or a desire for or an advantage over or to have more, to crave more. And in 18, or 1635, uh, Timothy Keller tells this story about a man named Robert Kane, who was a member of the First Congregational Church of Boston. And he was doing well as a businessman, but his elders disciplined him for the sin of greed. Like, how really do you define... Have you ever heard of anyone being disciplined for the sin of greed? I mean, in all of my years of ministry, I have never one time, not one single time without fail, never ever had anyone confess to me that they were greedy. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But here this guy was disciplined for the sin of greed. Now, how did they do that? Well, it was because as a church, they had decided three or four years before that, that Christians should only sell their wares for a 4% profit. So when they found out that Robert Cain was doing 6%, they disciplined him for the sin of greed. So don't worry, we're not going to start to discipline you if you're greedy. (laughs) We're not going to come after your stuff. But the thing about Robert Cain here, it it isn't necessarily so much that what he did was wrong. And, And by the way, I don't think that it's really the I could get into this whole thing about church discipline, but I really think that we can trust the Lord to convict and and that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should go to one another and and confront one another and and be honest with one another if we see someone caught in a sin. The Bible makes a a really strong case for that. But But I wonder about how important it is for the church to call people out and to discipline people. Can we love each other enough that we'll tell each other the truth? Can we do that? Can we commit to that as a family? That we don't leave it up to the church to do it? We're the body of Christ. So I could go off on that for a long time. But what I'm saying here is that Robert Cain knew what the standard was and he decided he was going to go just a little bit more. He was going to do just a little bit more. And so they called him out for greed. So I want to ask you, how greedy are you? And, and when I'm standing here, I am not standing here going, you are all greedy. God has been working in my heart this week, giving me some really specific directives and some really clear things that I know he's calling me to do. And so... I am not standing here in judgment at all, saying that, oh, I'm, I'm not greedy, but you are. It's not like that at all. So, but there was a quiz. There's a lot of quizzes about, about greed online, believe it or not. I'm not going to read all of them, but let me read a few of the questions. So, do you regularly let your friends treat you to meals, clothes, etc., because they make more money than you? Which is closer to the truth? Greed made this country great or greed has ruined this country? If you won $1 million in the lottery, how much of it would you give to charity? A, none. B, $500. C, $5,000. Or D, $500,000. They forgot $50,000 in there a bit. (laughs) When you walk into a, oh, this one's convicting. When you walk through a department store, do you, A, rejoice in all the material objects you can live without? B, 
buy an item or two that catch your eye and go home happy. C, fantasize about what you would buy if you just had more money. Or D, feel upset about all the things you can't have. Okay, um, let me see. I'm skipping a few here. Let's see. Um, Okay, you're a CEO of a company whose performance is worse this year than last year. You A, refuse a bonus. You B, accept any bonus offered. Or C, try to get a higher bonus than the one offered. How about this? Um, Let's see. Your city plans to open a home for the mentally disabled in your neighborhood that will likely lower your property values. You either vote against it or you vote for it. How about this one? Cashier gives you an extra $10 too much on your chart uh, for your change. I'm sorry. You A, keep the extra 10 bucks, her mistake. B, you keep it, but you give it to the first needy person you see. Or C, you tell her about the mistake and return the $10. So we don't think we're greedy, but then when we start to kind of examine some things about our attitudes and our actions, I think it starts to become obvious that, ooh, maybe this might be a little bit of an issue. I just want to say, if you envy the wealthy or you disdain wealthy or you look down on the wealthy, you have a problem with greed. Conversely, if you think that homeless people are not quite as good as you or poor people aren't quite as good as you, if you feel a little bit superior to them, because they've made some bad choices after all, you might be bound by money. I had a situation last week on Monday. If, if you're just a guest here, my husband passed away a year and a half ago, and on Monday I, I was kind of feeling a little lost, and, and I accidentally drove by the hospital where he passed away and kind of triggered me, and I was just kind of having a really off day. So I went to, to go sit at this coffee shop, and as I was sitting there, I noticed there was a man there, and, and when I, I had my little dog with me, little Moya, and... Um, I knew I couldn't bring her into the coffee shop, so I left her with this couple outside. They were like, oh, she's so cute. So I left her out there, and then I went in. Well, this man followed me in. And then I went back out. After I had gotten my coffee, I went back out, and he followed me out. But he followed me out because he was bringing a little bowl of water for Moya because it was about 100 degrees that day. He was coming to bring it, and it turns out he's just this homeless guy who's hit really hard times. And he told me his whole story. He didn't ask me for money, not one single time. He didn't give me any indication that he, that he was going to. He just shared his story. And so I just thought, I am gonna, I'm going to really sit here and take this in. I'm really going to ask him some questions. And the whole time I just kept thinking, Lord, he is so precious to you. If only he could see that. And I just just asked him, you know, about the whole Rio Grande thing and what's going on there and what does he think about this and has he seen friends of his die from overdoses and, you know, and all these questions. I just sat and talked to him for the longest time. And as I drove away, 
from that encounter, I was so convicted. And not because of how I had treated him or the things that we had talked about or anything, but because of the fact that in the past I had kind of been a little bit judgmental about people who may have hit hard times because I, because you think, well, I mean, they made poor choices, right? No one made them have that first drink, right? No one made them smoke weed. No one made them use heroin, right? So, I mean, this is just kind of what happens. Don't we kind of have that attitude? And then I just saw, I had this clear picture of the grace of God and how much, how many poor choices I have made in my life. And yet the grace of God just covers me. And yes, a lot of times those people are in their predicament because they made poor choices, but we are in no position to stand in judgment of them or to ever feel in any way superior to them. If we cannot recognize the preciousness of each and every human being and understand that the grace of God is sufficient for all, regardless if they made mistakes, regardless if they've made poor choices. Now, on the other hand, there's the balance. You don't want to enable, you don't want to hand someone money if you know they're just going to shoot it into their veins. Of course, there's wisdom with that. But I am talking about just the way we view others. That if we feel superior to others who may not have as much as us, or if we're envious of those who have more, we might have a problem with greed. In Luke 12, Jesus Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. So he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. Then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night you will die. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The NIV says to, to, have, to not have, to be rich toward God, not be rich toward God. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this ne- next section. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, what is our focus? What is my focus? Because greed is considered what they call a sin of the eye. So Jesus has this like random section in here about the light and the eye and all this. You're like, wait, he's talking about money. And then he's talking about money again. So he says here, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. You're like, wait a minute. He was just talking about earthly wealth and treasures and all this. Now he's talking about your eye. It says, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You see, we never really believe or know if we're greedy except to know what our focus is, to know what it is that we're looking at. And that's the thing that this is talking about. The, the word, if your eye is healthy, that's not really a perfect translation. The, the actual Greek word is much more complex, but it, it's 
talks about being healthy or being good or being whole. And the King James calls it being single, that your eye is single. That means that it's focused on one thing and one thing only. So that when your eye is filled with light, it means that it's illuminated, that you can see things for what they really are rather than having a distorted view, rather than thinking that maybe money is the thing that's going to make me content. That's the thing that's going to fulfill me. That's the thing that's going to be my security. Because like God says, you fool. Tonight you're going to die. And now you have all this stuff. Who's going to take care of your stuff? Who are you going to give this to? And it is so difficult to to define greed, especially in ourselves, because we are blind to it. We don't see it. If we're materialistic or greedy, we don't necessarily see it in ourselves. And the thing is that no matter how much you have, it's never enough. I heard a a quote by Rockefeller, who was at the time the wealthiest man in the world. And I think I've shared this with you, but they asked him, how much money is enough? He goes, just a little more than I have right now. Yikes. But it says in 1 Timothy 6, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Food and clothing. Let us be content. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Do you guys believe this? This is the word of God. This is living and active, and it's saying that if we desire to be rich, This is going to plunge us into all kinds of destructive and ruinous things if we're not focused on eternal things, if we're not focused on the kingdom of God and the things of God and the things that God calls important. You know, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but it says, you know, look at the birds of the air. They don't have to work hard. They don't have to do a thing. And yet God provides for all of their needs. He's saying, how much more precious are you to me? I'm going to provide for your needs. And that's why he's saying, focus on the kingdom of God. Focus on the things that are eternal, not on things that can be destroyed or ruined or stolen. It says here, they plunge into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. What's, what's the goal for most people in life? What do, what do most people want out of life? I want to get rich, right? Isn't that a common thing that people want? And it's saying here that if, if you love money and crave money, it says you're going to be pierced with many sorrows. It's just the paradox again just the opposite. Everything in the world, everybody that thinks that money is going to make them so wealthy, or I mean so happy, ends up miserable. Okay, so I need to bring the balance here because 
it's not just about being wealthy because there is the balance. You do need to provide for the needs of your family. So gentlemen, don't quit your jobs and say, well, I don't want to be greedy for money. That'll plunge me into dissipation and destruction and ruin and all kinds of sorrow. It's not about that because the Bible clearly says you need to provide for the needs of your family. It says, if you don't work, you won't eat. I mean, there's a lot, the Bible talks about a lot of things about money. So I'm not saying that, you know, if you're unemployed or if you're looking for a job that you shouldn't be doing that. Is that clear? Do you you understand the balance there? I'm not saying, you know, well, it's not a big deal. Don't get a job. Yes, get a job. Okay. Because you need to provide for your family. So it is not a sin to be wealthy, as is evidenced in the Bible. There were many, many wealthy people in the Bible. It says, Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold, Genesis 13. David died a good old age, full of days, full of riches, and full of honor, Genesis 13. Um, Solomon, King Solomon, passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, 2 Chronicles 9.22. Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, 2 Chronicles It says in Job chapter one, he was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. He was in fact the richest person in that entire area. Job 42 says the Lord blessed Job the second half of his life even more than the beginning. And Joseph in the New Testament, it says, when, when the evening came, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph. And now remember, he was so wealthy that he provided the grave where they placed the body of Jesus or the tomb. So he was wealthy and he used it for kingdom purposes. So once again, this isn't about money, whether you have money or whether you don't have money. This is about your heart. This is about what are my attitudes about money? Where is my treasure? What is my focus? Do I focus on the things of the Lord? Or do I focus on this stuff? So Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And in Isaiah 44, he talks about this, about idolatry and how ridiculous it is. It says... He uses part of the wood to make a fire, and with it he warms himself and bakes his bread. And then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it, and he makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels so good. And then he takes what's left and makes his god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you're my god. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed, but they cannot see. Their minds are shut, but they cannot think. And the word think here means to to understand or to have prudence or to comprehend or to be insightful. And so I need to ask you, because I love you, are you single focused? Are you thinking about the kingdom of God? Or are you so consumed with thinking about money and things and debt and all of this. Do you look different than those who don't claim the name of Jesus? Or do you look just the same? 
there was, there's a letter to a man named Diagnitis. It says, we share our table with all. He's, he's trying to describe what a Christian should look like or what a Christian is. This is way, way back. And it says, we share our table with all, but not our bed. The pagans share their bed with all, but not their table. So where is our devotion? Where's your devotion? Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You get that? You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot, you are not the exception. Because that's what we all think. Oh, I'm the exception. No, I love God, but I also want to be rich. No. Diametrically opposed. You cannot serve God and be enslaved by money. Go away. No, they're coming up here to close the message. I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's a woman named Ellen Goodman. She's a journalist, and she wrote a book called The Company Man. So check this out. Normal... Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work, driving through traffic in a car that you're still paying for, in order to get a job that you need so you can pay for the clothes, the car, and the house that you leave empty all day in order to afford to live in it. That's normal. Ecclesiastes 2 says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. Mark 8 says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. For what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And here's such a sweet promise that Jesus gives us in Luke 12. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. He says, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He says, all that I have is yours. You know, when I, when I was raising my kids, it, it's like the house, they got to live in the house for free. They got to do everything. I took care of their needs. They had free reign of the house, except for the formal living room. <laughs> that was the timeout room. Some of them still have post-traumatic stress for having to go into the formal living room. But do you know what I'm saying? That's what it's like. Your kids, you are his kids. And he's saying, all that I have is yours. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Stop stressing about money. Everything I have is yours. It gives me great pleasure to share and to give and to pour out on you. You don't need to worry about these things. I've got your back. I'm your daddy. I'm going to take care of you. And so I want to ask you guys some really difficult questions. Keep your elbows to yourselves, please. None of this. Is your lifestyle hindered? because of your excessive generosity? Has your lifestyle changed one little bit because you're so exceedingly generous that you have to cut back on things 
because you've given so much of it away? My brother used to tour with a Christian singer called Michael Card. And he said that Michael Card would go through his closet once a year and he would pull out all his clothes and he would have the one pile with the, the nice new clothes and then he would have another pile of kind of the ratty used up ones and he would take the good ones and he would bring those and give them to the poor and he would keep the ratty ones. There was an elderly couple once who gave, who gave their old piano to a church and then they bought a new one and they came back to the church a couple weeks later and said, no, we've made a mistake. We should have given the church the new one. We want to take our old piano back and they gave the church their new piano. You might not agree with everything theologically with this guy, but there's a pastor named Rick Warren who pastors one of the largest churches in, at least in our nation. He's a reverse tither. So in other words, he tithes 90% of his income and lives on the last 10%. He's never moved from his original house. Despite millions and millions of dollars he's made from his books and everything, he gives 90% of that away. And incidentally, speaking of the tithe, the tithe is a biblical principle, 10%. That is God's. That's your first fruits. This issue isn't about the tithe. The tithe is not the standard, but the cross is the standard. Jesus gave everything. And here we are sitting there going, I'm not giving God 10%. Really? The cross is a standard. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. See, the thing is, generosity breaks the power, breaks the stronghold of money in our lives. The more you give it away, the more you're not bound by it, the more you'll have to give and the, and the more generous you'll be able to be. There are things we can do with our money. We live, we have to live, we have to pay our bills, but then we can give generously. Instead of buying stuff and charging it on a credit card and getting a 25% you know, penalty every month because we're not paying it, it's like to indulge ourselves and to use it for our, own, for our own comfort or whatever. Instead, let's get out of debt. Stop spending money you don't have so that you can give generously, so you can be free from the love of money. You can be free from the obsession. And let me ask you another question. This is another difficult question. You know, Jesus talks about in heaven, he's preparing a mansion for us. What if our mansion is comprised of only things that we gave away on this earth? What would your mansion look like? Gilligan's Island hut? (laughs) Or would it look like the Kardashians? Because you've been so generous. Sorry, I brought up their name in church. (laughs) Just kidding. Let me ask you another difficult question. Who knows about your money? Who knows how you spend your money, how you use your money? Who knows? Who would be able to speak into your life and say, hey, you know, you might want to think twice about buying that new truck or, I mean, I'm not saying anything about truck owners, but who who are you accountable to? I mean, we're comfortable to talk about our sexual sin or our behavioral sin, but what about this issue? Are you, do you have anyone that, that speaks into your life about money? Or are you just on your own? See, Jesus as our treasure, 
our one and only treasure was willing to die. He was willing to give it all up. It says in the Bible that all of the kingdoms belong to him, everything in the universe, and yet he gave it all away. As a matter of fact, so much so that even as he was hanging on the cross, he was naked. He was stripped of everything so that we could live, so that we could be prosperous in the real things, the eternal things, the real things that matter. It says when we have him as our treasure, we will be free from the love of money. When our single focus is on him and on his kingdom, rather than on how I'm going to pay my bills or how I'm going to do this, to give him everything, to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto us, it says. He lost everything he possessed, which was everything. He lost it all for us. And he calls us to serve him. And he calls us to be single-minded because we cannot serve God. We cannot serve God and money. And that our treasure must be in him and him alone. I know this is a hard message to hear. But I, I remember hearing this week where it says that righteousness and peace kiss And what that means is that all of the things that are right and true, according to the wisdom of God, all of those things will bring us peace that transcends understanding. So that no matter if you're you're not making hardly any money, you can still have peace. Or if you have a lot of money and you're giving it all away, you still can have peace in that. So can you stand with me? Can we rise to a higher standard? Can we look differently than our pagan coworkers and friends and family? Can we be known for our excessive generosity, extravagant generosity? Can we be known for that? And can we also look differently than them because of our single focus on the things of, of the cross, the eternal the things that can never be destroyed. They can't be rusted or stolen. Can we do that together? Can you just hold your hands out? If, if you want God to be your God, if you want him to be your all in all, and if you're willing to do whatever he speaks, let me ask you one more hard question. What if he came in and said, I want you to get rid of everything you own and give it all to the poor? What about that? Would you be like, oh my gosh, no. Those are my creature comforts, no. Or would you be like, it all belongs to him anyway. I give it all to him. So Lord, we come before you, God. We have our hands open because we know that everything we have comes from you. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. Lord, we know that you are the one who provides. Lord, you are the only one we look to. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that you would change our focus, that our our focus would be on you and that our treasure would be found in you. Lord, that we would serve you and not money. God, forgive us for our obsession. Forgive us for worrying. Forgive us for always thinking about money. God, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And we just ask that you would set us free from the love of money, the bondage of money. We thank you, Lord, that you know all things and you do all things well in Jesus' name. Amen.